Hello and welcome to the FilmPulse.net podcast. This is episode number 90. My name is Adam. With me today we have Kevin. How are you, Kevin? I'm doing all right. First up today we'll be speaking with Jeanette Garcia and Daryl Rodriguez on their film World 1-1, which is currently funding on Kickstarter. Then we'll be going over some of what we've been watching before getting into a feature review of Our Day Will Come. And finally we'll be going over this week's movie predictions, new on video on demand, and DVD and Blu-ray releases. First up... Let's kick things off with a conversation with Jeanette Garcia and Daryl Rodriguez and talk about their upcoming video game documentary, World 1-1, which is currently funding on Kickstarter. Uh, thank you so much, guys, for taking some time to speak with me. Uh, we're talking about the World 1-1, and I guess we could start by maybe just telling me a little bit about the film. Okay. Um... Okay. Um, I mean, so a couple of years ago, I started reading up on video game history. And, you know, immediately being a filmmaking person, I started to look up, you know, what kind of visual history is there? What kind of uh, video content is there? And I found that there's there's a a couple of things online you can find. But as far as documentaries, there's really not that much. Um, You know, there's some things that kind of uh, cover some things, but there's really nothing that covers everything. And so that's how we started working on this. Yeah, um, the first film, uh, we're trying to aim to cover the early years of gaming, so uh, we're going to be looking at the Odyssey Magnavox, and then also Atari, of course, um, and just looking at, you know, uh, the first years, the beginning years, and trying to get a sense of what that was like um, from the perspective of those who were actually there, so that's what we're trying to go for. So... Like you just said, this is going to be a series of documentaries, so it sounds like it's going to be a pretty in-depth look at the history of video games. And what I'm wondering is, are you going to be focusing on like the home console market? Are you going to be covering things like arcades and, and that type of thing as well? Yeah, um, in, it is going to be uh, in-depth, but it's not going to be the most in-depth thing in the world, for example. Um, we're planning to, fo- uh, to focus on the first one for now. And we have decided that there's just too much content for it to be an informative documentary. So we're going for a more narrative-based documentary. Uh, So we're trying to tell the best story out of the history that is there. And if you imagine, for example, that we had made four of these, um, and it was, for example, a four-hour special on TV, for example, um, we still wouldn't be able to cover everything that happened because there are so many companies and so many products that were made Yeah, um, I mean, the Kickstarter only funds the first one, but if it does go well, we do plan on continuing the series. Uh, So we're shooting for World 1-1, which would be the first, and then, uh, you know, proceed further with uh, World 1-2, which would cover most likely Nintendo, and and then so forth. How many uh, chapters do you envision this this project having? I want to say about four. Four. So you're going to... Go. You're gonna start with the Atari and then go into Nintendo, and then I imagine you would transition into like the 16-bit era. Are, are you, how far do you see yourself going? Like, are you gonna go all the way up to like next-gen consoles? Yeah, I mean, we if we if we make it that far, we'll go all the way up to today, basically. Oh, that's very cool. Going back to what you're gonna be covering, are you are you looking to cover things like like pinball machines or anything like that? Or are you just gonna try to stick with strictly video games i mean especially early on where we will mention pinball machines and uh early computing 
we want to uh, mention everything. So, as you know, pay respects to everything, give mention to everything possible. But we won't be focusing on certain things, such as pinball, for example. You can make an, you know an entire documentary on just pinball. I think there are some out there as yeah. well. So, yeah. uh, I want to talk about uh, some of the people that you plan on interviewing for this because I did see a list here, and it, it looks like a pretty extensive list of interviews. I was wondering if you could highlight some of some of the people you're going to be talking to. Uh, yeah, we're going to be uh, meeting up with Nolan Bushnell, uh, who's the co-founder of Atari, and uh, talking to him. We also have David Crane, who's the co-founder of Activision, lined up. Um, we also have a uh, Donna Bailey, who uh, created co-created the game Centipede. Uh, also, Ro- Warren Robinett, who co-created well, he created himself uh, mm-hmm. Adventure. Uh, and we're still kind of adding to the list. Uh, we have a few others too, but we're still kind of looking for for more uh, individuals who are willing to be interviewed um, from that era, uh, in order to make it more you know, be able to gain as much perspective from that uh, as possible to try to get, you know, different um, highlights, different events that happened yeah. from from these individuals. Yeah, we're, we're actually speaking to someone pretty big right now in the uh, in the early years of gaming. We haven't been able to confirm or, or do any scheduling with him. Yeah, um, we're still just, you know, and kind of having a dialogue with him mm-hmm. and establishing a dialogue. That's great. So what made you guys uh, kind of approach this topic are you are you guys huge video game mm-hmm. fans what brought you to this yeah yeah, yeah. no we, we are huge yeah. um that and and also i mean we, we are also very passionate about film so we felt like this could be something that could you know fuse the two together and and create something that you know we can bring both these passions together and i mean you know we love history we love storytelling and even though we say yeah you know we are gamers there's there's a lot of gamers out there right now um, but the the story of the other, you know, the history of the industry. Mo- I mean, we've spoken to even journalists, and they'll tell us, you know, I really don't know the history of of the industry. Yeah, yeah. and it's funny because it's such a huge. I mean, it's like yeah. a multi billion dollar industry at this point, right? I mean, it's like it rivals that of the movie business. I mean, especially when you look at the sales of Grand Theft Auto recently. It feels like, I mean, there's so many documentaries out there about the history of film and yet so few about the history of video games. I feel like it's a really good idea to finally get something out there that is like a definitive history of of this medium. Mm -hmm. I think that um, there's going to be, I think that now, coming now in the years now, there's going to be not just like one that is the definitive because I think it would have to be a very long a very long series or special. Right. I think it, it's going to be um, different people covering different things, such as you know pinball or early computers or handhelds or you know MMOs or whatever it may be. I think that's how it's going to be. Yeah, and, and we're starting to see that already. Like mm-hmm. we're starting to see you know very specialized uh, documentaries out there on video games and and certain communities within video games. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think it was last year that Indie Game, the movie, came out. And I think there was also a Minecraft documentary mm-hmm. that came out, too. So, we, yeah, I do see that we are seeing some, like, kind of specialized documentaries coming out about specific mm-hmm. aspects of video games. And I think that that's great as a, as a big gamer myself. Um, which which side of the fence are you guys on, PS4 or Xbox One <laughs> at this point? I mean, I, I guess... You know, I, I would say both. You know, I have both pre-ordered, and I want to play both. Um, if I had to give an opinion on on how I feel about them, I would say that 
I'm in in the in the crowd where I think that if Microsoft had stuck to their guns, I would have been more interested. So if they didn't remove the the DRM stuff, yeah, I would have been. Yeah, a lot of people seem to be saying that, which is kind of funny because it that that kind of really polarized people when that happened. Like some people were really railing against that, and then when they removed it, a lot of people were like wishing that they kept it on there. I think that's interesting. It, it's I mean it's a vocal minority, but um, and I mean I, you know it makes business sense I guess to them for, to remove it. So yeah, I well I personally like the PS4, so <laughs> that's mm. that's my vote. I'll probably be getting both as well, but I'm I'm kind of leaning towards the Xbox One at this point, mm-hmm. just because it seems like their launch titles yeah. are a little bit better. Yeah, their launch games at the end of the day are probably better, yeah. So I want to talk about the perks of this Kickstarter project. Maybe you could highlight some of the, the different perks that you have for donors. Uh, we have uh, the option for a digital copy of the film. Um, well, starting starting early, we have uh, like a digital wallpaper if you donate 10. And then if you donate 20, you've got the digital download. And then as you move up, you can get a DVD for 35 um, and a special thanks in the credit. And then we have a blue, the Blu-ray for Blu-ray 50. For 50. Yeah. Um, and then as you move on up, there's also uh, behind the scenes footage mm-hmm. and uh, uh, a shirt that you can also get. Um and then our highest or higher tiers are a thousand, which is no, there's uh, the two hundred as well. Well, two hundred, yes. <laughs> Let's not skip that. Which includes um, if you're a video game developer and you'd like to feature um, thirty seconds of, of your game or a trailer, um, you can do that. Or if you'd like to share your testimony about you know what the early years did for you or you know what Atari means to you, we can include that in the film. And then we also have uh, for a thousand, you can be an executive producer. Um, Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Executive producer credit, along with everything else that we we have um, in the other tiers, and then the final one, the five thousand, uh, is actually us traveling to wherever the donor is and uh, interviewing them and including them in the film. Oh, that's great. Uh, one final question: What are you guys currently playing right now? Uh oh wow. Um, actually, nothing because <laughs> we've been so focused on this that yeah, we have had absolutely no time whatsoever. Yeah. Um, but before this, uh, I was, re- I was playing the Nintendo 3DS, um, Ocarina of Time. And then I was mm-hmm. also playing, um, the HD Wind Waker. Uh, Wind yeah. Waker. Uh, uh, and what about you, Daryl? Yeah. I mean, if you can believe it, we haven't even played uh, GTA 5 yet. Yeah. <laughs> You're missing out. It's pretty fun. Yeah. Minus the online bugs. <laughs> yeah. We keep hearing about those. Yeah. It's pretty bad, but... Uh, thank you so much, guys, for taking some time to speak with me. And best of luck on the, the Kickstarter project. We'll be sure to have a link to the project in the show notes. And there's 10 days left, so mm. be sure to donate now. Yeah, I mean, I guess we should reiterate that if we don't re- uh, hit our goal, you know, we don't get anything and we're not going to be able to go into production and make the movie. So, yeah, I mean, there's 10 days left at the time of this recording. And, um, yeah, I mean, even if they can't donate, they... Um, they can, be, yeah, was, you can share, you know, share about yeah, us. spread the word. Spread the word mm-hmm. on Twitter, Facebook, whatever social media site, um, you know, you guys use. That'll be, you know, a ton of help for us. Great. Well, thanks so much, guys. No, thanks for having Thank us. You. Thanks again, guys. Be sure to hit the link in the show notes and donate to World 1-1 today. All right, let's go ahead and jump into some of what we've been watching. Kevin, 
We'll start it with you this week. What do you got? Uh, the first film that I saw was a romantic comedy, charming little French film called Populaire. You heard about this one? Nope. About this about speed typing. Set in, <laughs> set in 50s France, uh, Deborah Francois plays Rose, who she's a young French girl, wants to be a secretary, and she's terrible at being a secretary. She's just clumsy. She has no idea how to do anything. But there is a silver lining here. She is, like, the fastest typer in the world. So her boss, who's played by Roman Duras, which uh, you might remember from Beat That My Heart Skipped, a lot of other films, really. He has that weird mouth. He is her boss, sets her up in speed typing competitions, and it's just ridiculous. It's just a, you know, fun romantic comedy type deal. Like I said, it's a charming French film. And, mm-hmm. and you know, it takes place in the 50s, and they nail everything. Like the costumes, the settings, all the props. It feels like 50s France. There's only one weird thing, though, is there is a sex scene between Duras and Francois, like halfway through the film, which is done with like this art house flair to it. And it's like very sensual and very sexy. And it just doesn't fit the film at all. It's very odd because mm. like 99% of it is family fun, romantic comedy, nice, safe, charming, quirky. And then just smack dab in the middle is this art house racy sex scene that's, I mean, it is artistically done. And it's competently, you know, well thought out, well shot, well acted and everything. But it just doesn't fit, like, the entire film at all. It just seems completely out of place. And the other thing is there's a character who's, he's an American. And he's in, he lives in France. And he's actually married to uh, Bernice uh, Bijot, right? Mm-hmm. From The Artist. And anytime he says a line in, Ameri- in, in, in English, it's... It's, oh, it sticks out like a sore thumb. It's so mm. terrible. But there is, and he gives like the most cringeworthy line at the end of the film. For whatever reason, they like cram this side story in where she types so fast that the typewriter can't keep up with her and it jams up. So Duras, who plays Louis, her boss, comes up with this invention of like a golf ball and has all the letters on the golf ball. And that's what is used for the typewriter. So he gives it to the, you know, to the American guy at the end of the movie, he goes over to the American competition and he's like, hey, I got this great invention for you. And they're like, well, if a Frenchman invented it, why would you come to us? And he, this is just the most ridiculous line ever. He's like, America for business, French for love. Hmm. And then it's just like close up of Duras and Francois kissing because eventually they fall in love. Duh. Of course. But again... As far as romantic comedies go, it's one of the better ones out there. And it just seems like France does have that ability to make very charming romantic comedies compared to what America usually puts out, which are just fucking god-awful, in -hmm. my opinion. So if you have to watch one, I suggest that. I might check this out because I do like movies that take place in the 50s. Oh, they nail it. I mean, the and set design, the costumes, props, everything, it feels like the 50s. Or at least what I think the 50s, because I have no idea what the 50s well, was. Obviously. <laughs> so, to me, it feels like the 50s. And it, another thing is the, the speed typing competitions are so ridiculously over the top that it's just it's fun. Because it's so ridiculous. There's like rabid fans. 
and everyone's going losing their shit over speed typing competitions. And you know, that's probably how it really was, too. <laughs> it probably was. Uh, it's just, it, it was a good time. It's a, you know, popular. Popular. Uh, I followed that up with Toby Hooper's debut feature called Eggshells. So, this is the guy that made Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So, this is his first film, 1969, uh, about a group of hippies in Texas just doing nothing really like hippies do they just live in a house and apparently at the same time there's some weird shit going on in the basement like there's a ghost or a spirit something who knows i mean there's really no narrative to this film at all it's i mean they were just on drugs let's just let's, <laughs> let's just be frank here and if they weren't they're just weird then but uh like all the scenes involving the hippies are just I mean, honestly, they're just boring. It's like them taking baths, saying stupid shit, smoking joints, discussing... Smoking grass. That's right, dude. Smoking grass. They're fixing the fuck on the steps. Like, they're having a party, and they just... They meet on the steps. These two just meet on the steps, and they're just like, let's do it. So they just, like, start taking their clothes off on the steps. Uh, the one thing, like, in the beginning, it's it's fantastically done. I mean, the camera work is very it's quite impressive it's all cinema verte style i think he only made it for like forty thousand dollars something like that <clears throat> and there's a lot of experimental set pieces you know he layers images on top of each other he does like weird light shows down in the basement uh there is a guy who i think is the spirit i have no idea but he goes down in the basement and there's a toilet there and right beside the toilet is a medieval sword which makes complete sense yeah. So he picks up that sword and fights himself. Mm. So they do this very impressive editing style where, you know, they cut all the images of him fighting and, you know, he's blocking his own sword thrust or whatever, which is just ridiculous. And uh, early on, there's a paper airplane that's flying around, like the greatest paper airplane you've ever seen in your entire life. And then it lands and it's like a huge explosion when it lands, like right by yeah. this guy. Um one guy's driving down the street, just pulls off to the side of the road for no reason, gets an axe out of the back, shatters the windshield, drives it into a field, lights the truck on fire, throws all of his clothes in, runs away in slow motion, completely naked, and the car, like, just massive explosion. So I think that's probably where most of the budget went to, was to buy that car and blow it up. And the only problem being, is it's entirely too long. Like most experimental films are. It's just way too long. And you yeah. get extremely bored. But it is interesting to see that this as his debut feature. And it's sort of at the tail end of the whole counterculture hippie thing going on. Mm -hmm. And there's this underlying like uh, skepticism or cynicism, <clears throat> pessimism, all that stuff. You know, because it's the tail end. And then to follow that up with Texas Chainsaw Massacre, it's almost like he was just literally killing that whole ideology that maybe he once had. So it's interesting. It's interesting in that fact. Like I would, it would be, I would suggest if you were to see this, like do a double bill, like see eggshells and then watch Texas Chainsaw Massacre right afterwards. And the, I love, I, I think Texas Chainsaw Massacre is just one of the best horror movies. I it's still, I, I still, still consider it my favorite. It, it still creeps me out. It creeps me the fuck out, dude. I really can't handle that film too much it scares the shit out of me 
It's it's because it's so dirty and real looking. Because mm-hmm. he yeah he uses that same sort of cinema verte style to it. And plus, horror movies from the seventies were just they're always creepier, aren't they? Yeah. They just look creepier. Absolutely. I don't know if it's just like the film grain or it's, whatever it's, it is. Yeah. It's the vision. It's how they were filmed. Everything looks grainy and dirty and gritty. Yeah, like you found it like in a box down in someone's basement. Yeah, everything just feels so raw with like, those films. Like the videos that Ethan Hawke watched in Sinister. Like, yeah. Find those. That's what all the 70s horror <laughs> films look like. Yeah. You're just watching them in a dark room. I don't understand why they don't make more horror movies like that. I, I don't really, either, dude. Because like, I was I've, actually I've, thinking about this, like the last... Because I'm trying to think of like what is the better, like newer uh, horror film that I saw. And the only one that I can come up with is Sinister... But the only thing that I enjoyed in Sinister that, you know, creeped me out were the Super 8 tapes. Like, yeah. Those were creepy as shit and freaked me out. Everything else that took place I didn't really have an effect on me. And I, I just want people to go back to that. Well, what I mean, some people try, but at the end of the day, they're still using new technology. And yeah. they're using, like, digital cameras and then they add filters and things like that to make it look old. But it never really works. And even when movies are taking place in the 70s and they're trying to give it that low-budget, you know, grindhouse look, it, it never completely works. Like, yeah. like, there's some that they get close to it, but it's never really 100% there. I know what you mean. I want someone to do it, though. Hopefully someone does. Then I have tough. a feeling. I have a feeling that someone like Ty West or, you know, one of these indie indie directors will... Or maybe even Astron Six, because if they if they got the new camera for their for their next movie, I could see them being able to do it because they have an eye for it. Just get that old equipment, man. Yeah, Just the thing about Ast- the thing about Astron Six though is that they they do kind of like you know satire of yeah. parody of that stuff, so it'd be comedies, which you know would immediately take you out of that to begin with. True. Still, I'm looking for someone to do it. Well, I think what they need to do is they need to use old film stock. You know what I mean? Like, they need to use maybe not the old cameras, but at least use film. Yeah, there's got to be some film somewhere. Bake that shit. Just bake it. (laughs) Bake it afterwards. Come on. Get creative. Stop using your damn digital shit. Which I'm going to segue into something else that I watched. I watched Session 9 last Mm -hmm. night. God damn, that is an ugly film. I've never seen it. This is one that's kind of on my list of shame. Like, I remember always seeing the box art at every time I'd go to Hollywood Video, seeing it there. I honestly thought that I saw this before, but I'm, I must be thinking of something else. There was a yeah. film that me and you saw that I thought was Session 9. Oh, maybe it was. Maybe we did see it and I just forgot. Maybe we did. I don't know, but I mean, it's downright ugly. It's d- filmed on digital. I forget what Camry they used. Well, if it came out in 2001, it's probably the early days of digital, so it probably looked like crap. Yeah, it looks, I mean, it's terrible. It looks so ugly. Um, and it just, it sort of, it took me out like right off the bat because it looks so cheap and amateurish. It's just, it looks such low quality that I couldn't take it seriously. But then I did. I tried to invest into the story. You know, it's an asbestos removal crew working in an abandoned asylum. That should be 
disturbing as shit, shouldn't it? That should You'd be scary. So. You yeah. would think. It's not. Like, they don't do anything. I mean, it's nice that there's they, they, don't, they don't resort to, you know, jump scares and stuff like that, but they really don't do anything. It just essentially turns into this sort of psychological thriller, and I'm using the term thriller very loosely because none of it was thrilling at all. And Peter Mullen, who, uh, he's like the head of the asbestos removal company, he's sort of losing it, like they all do. He's just slowly on the brink, and David Caruso, the fantastic David Caruso, and I say that in jest because I have no fucking clue how this guy is working. I hate it. I'm sorry. He is the worst fucking actor I have ever seen in my life. He is so terrible. I don't. I, I, I can't understand how anyone's like, oh, we should get David Caruso for this. Unless it's a joke. <laughs> I don't, like, I don't, I don't get it. Like in uh, NTFSD SUV. <laughs> well, and in, in this film, he has, he delivers the worst line, which of course he, everything that's terrible about this film mostly stems from him. But there's a line where they have to break up and they're looking for one of these, for one of their, one of their crew. So Peter Mullen's like, you're coming with me. And it does this quick zoom up into David Crusoe's face and he's pointing his finger back to Mullen and he just goes, fuck you. <laughs> and that's it. And I'm just like, are you fucking kidding me? Oh, God. And like the worst part is it's, it's slow burn horror, but it's the worst kind because it's just boring. Mm-hmm. Like they're not really building anything up here. They give you some snippets, but just the way that it's handled is absolutely terrible. Like, one guy gets killed or something happens to him. He's there at night, and the camera rushes up to him, and then it just cuts to black. And then, you know, they start from the morning. So you're like, oh, shit, what happened to him? But you know what happened to him. It's it's not creative at all. (laughs) It's just because he had no idea how to make something creepy. But the... The thing that really gets me, that pisses me off, is the extremely insulting way that he ends the film. And honestly, you could take a nap, just wake up for the last 20 minutes, and he fucking takes your hand, holds it, and just walks you through everything. Just explains everything to you. And I fucking hate when directors do that. Because it's it's almost like they think they're so clever and intelligent that they made, you know, they made such a great film that they have to walk you through it. When I do want to I do want to say real quick. This is directed by Brad Anderson, who did Trans Siberian, which I liked a whole lot. See, and that's what I Just like. I was note. yeah, I know. I, that's that's why I was like sort of excited because I heard good things about this, and then I'm like, oh man, Peter Mullins in it, and it's directed by David a guy, Caruso. I was like David Caruso. <laughs> yeah, David Caruso. I was a little skeptical on, which is completely understandable because he's fucking terrible. But it, just the ending just pissed me off to no end. I, I just I can't stand when directors do that. They just think they're so fucking clever, and they're not. Because you see everything coming from a mile away. At least I thought. It's just extremely insulting. It's like a slap in the face. One mm-hmm. film that I watched this week that I did thoroughly enjoy was Blanca Nieves, which is the Pablo Berger-directed uh, retelling of Snow White in black and white silent style. Mm-hmm. It is amazing. Like I honestly thought going in, okay, I'll probably like this because just like you know the novelty of it. But he actually makes a compelling silent film. 
like this is just an amazing silent film. And it, towards the beginning, I was a little skeptical. I thought that he was just gonna, you know, get past that fact by just having a slew of inner titles, you know, stating the dialogue. But he doesn't do that. It looks amazing. It's a fantastic retelling where Snow White ends up being a bullfighter, and the dwarves are bullfighting dwarves that she travels around with. So that's amazing. The, the evil witch is fucking evil as shit. I mean, they keep the darkness from Grimm's original story in. And even the ending, too. It doesn't end, you know, it's not a Disney ending. It's more true to the original Grimm story. But, you know, they set it in 1920s in Seville, Spain, and it's just, it's fantastic. I honestly thought I was going to like it, but I didn't think I would like it this much. I was just completely enthralled the entire time I was watching it. I couldn't stop. I liked it so much that this is, like, this is the story of Snow White to me from now on. Mm. Snow White's a bullfighter, right? Okay. That's just how it is. Fuck you, Disney. Snow White is a bullfighter. That's how it plays out from here on out. That's the story of Snow White. And all the acting is fantastic, especially Mirabelle Verdu, who plays the evil witch in Karna. I mean, she's just, she's evil. And they give her this little twist that she's into S&M. Ooh. So she's sort of like a dominatrix style. And uh, Snow White's father gets gored by a bull in the beginning. And he becomes uh, handicapped and he's refined to a wheelchair. And she just treats him like shit, the evil witch does. And you just can't help but root for her demise. You want to see it so badly. And she does get like the perfect ending. I just, it was amazing. And another side note is the one bullfighting dwarf is a crossdresser. And he looks exactly like the crossdresser from the act of killing, but just, <laughs> but just in dwarf form. He looks exactly the same. It's so well, bizarre. I'll tell you, you, you already had me sold on this, but once you introduce S&M, bull goring <laughs> and cross-dressing dwarves that's what i'm saying like it, it's dark this is this is a dark retelling of snow white this isn't your family friendly disneyfied snow white this is you know grim brothers style but no, set so in 1920s this isn't like Spain. Kristen Kristen stewart no no not snow at all. white the huntsman no not at all the cinematography is awesome because they do a perfect blend of all the silent errors type camera tricks and storytelling tropes that they use, and then but they mix it perfectly with all like modern style camera work that they use, and the way that they use the score is perfect. I mean, it's just it's one of my favorites of the year easily. I can't I cannot recommend it enough, and it sucks because Pablo Berger was spent like eight years making this. And he was so excited because he was going to come out with a silent film. And he yeah. thought it was going to be, you know, this breakthrough. He's going to take everyone completely by surprise. And the artist came out, like, during <laughs> during production. Yeah. Just fucked everything for him. But even though I haven't seen the artist, from sort of from what I've heard, I have to say that I'm guessing that this is the hands down better than the artist. I have to see it, though. I like the artist a lot, but... Yeah. We'll definitely check this out. I think you'll absolutely love this. Probably. I watched uh, Nicholas Rogue's Don't Look Now. Finally got around to seeing this film from 1973. Classic horror. Classic horror. Um, I have a love-hate relationship with Nicholas Rogue. Um, on one hand, I see him as like a visual storytelling genius. 
And then on the other, I see him as an absolute fucking mess. It, it just seems like sometimes he gets so caught up in what he's doing that he just sort of dicks around and forgets that he's making a film. And he just puts all in these odd visuals and sound effects and everything else that he does. And it's, it seems like he just he loses focus and then yeah. keeps it in the film. <laughs> well, the only see, this is this and the adventures of young Indiana Jones are the only things that I've ever seen by him. So, OK, well, I've seen this uh, bad timing, the man who fell to earth and walkabout. So this is probably his more focused film out of those four that I've seen. Probably maybe his best that I've seen so far out of the four. Might be tied with bad timing. And I think Julie Christie does an amazing job. All the actors, really. Besides Donald Sutherland, I just I couldn't get into his character. He did barely serviceable job for me. I, I don't know what it was. It's just he didn't seem like a fully developed character to me. I don't know if it was the weird noises he would make. Whenever he was in those treacherous situations, you know, like the beginning of the film where he's rushing into the lake or the pond or whatever you want to call it. And then when he's hanging mm-hmm. from the rope, he just makes these these odd noises, just his uhs and all that stuff that he made. It just, <laughs> uh, it's fucking cracking me up. And for me, like the middle of the film, you know, it's all about build up and Unfortunately for me, I just I thought it dragged on just a bit too much. I know that it was creating this atmosphere and tension and mood and all that, but I I don't know. It just didn't work for me. I do I do consider it a pretty, you know, slightly above average horror film. I don't know if I would do a classic, but well, it's considered a classic. I personally don't know if I consider it a classic. It was. I mean, the thing that makes it unbelievably great for me anyways is that it's set in venice which automatically makes me think to myself why aren't there more films set in venice you gotta you gotta check out some more giallo stuff okay that's what i need to get into then but i mean even like recently now like in the last couple years or or maybe people are just afraid to do it because they're gonna get gonna say that they're biting i guess from other films but it's just it's so perfect it already has that atmosphere comes with it Right, yeah. But um, the only other thing that I loved was Donald Sutherland's perm. It was amazing. His mustache was amazing. That fucking trench coat was so, oh my God, so audacious. Just unbelievable. And then the suit that he pairs with it, my goodness. And then he has like the ugliest, weirdest, greatest tie I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) It's just... (laughs) And I actually did. I came up like... As a, an entire origin story for Epic Perm Man, which is what I coined him. He's a superhero that's a clairvoyant. He doesn't know it. It's all because the perm set in entirely too long. It affected his brain functions. So he became clairvoyant, but he doesn't know it. And they, that's, he ends up being a superhero. It sounds like a comic book that you need to start drawing. I know. I wish they'd make that a movie. It'd be an origin story. It'd be a prequel to Don't Look Now. Epic Perm Man. Donald Sutherland. Donald Sutherland might be too old to play the character now, but we could find somebody. Kiefer. Kiefer. <laughs> Get Kiefer to it. Kiefer probably would look fantastic with a perm. Yeah. I think that needs to be made. Get one in Hollywood. Maybe Nicholas Rogue's son can make it. And that's it. Outside of uh, Our Day Will Come. I started, uh, I didn't get to finish it, unfortunately, but I did start Nightmare on Elm Street. And 
I'm thoroughly enjoying it so far. That's I can't great. wait. To, I can't wait to finish. <laughs> that actually works as a good segue because I started the week off with Nightmare on Elm Street 4, The Dream Master. I'm Ooh. still making my way through the series. So this week I, I watched part four and five, <clears throat> and then I'm going to watch part six today. So The Dream Master, see the thing about these Nightmare on Elm Streets is that like each one of them has kind of a hook. You know, mm-hmm. like like part three, it's it's the there's a girl that has the ability to pull people into her dreams. So they she pulls in her friends and then they all go after Freddy. In part four, the dream master, uh, it's about a girl who can daydream. She has these very vivid Ooh. daydreams. Like so, idea. yeah. And then uh, part five, which is called the dream child. It, it's the same character as part four, but she gets pregnant. And Freddie go gets in through her unborn child's dreams. Oh wow! Which is yeah, it's kind of kind of interesting. Uh, part four I thought was a little bit better than. Well, actually, they're they're kind of the same to me. They they neither of them are very good. <laughs> I, I might have liked part five a little bit more because it part five came out in '89, so it's starting to have that kind of '90s vibe to it. There's a lot of stop motion going on in part five, and it just it feels like we're getting into my childhood at this point. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean they're they're pretty average. Part three is still better than those, and obviously part one is still the best. Part two is the worst, but uh, <laughs> yeah, so I'm, uh, I'm enjoying it. Uh, part six is gonna be is that, Fred- is that, is hmm? that coming up for you? When's that coming up? Doing uh, that today? Yeah, I'm going to watch part six oh, today. Oh, yeah. Lucky bastard. Which is uh, Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare. Mm. And then I'm going to watch Wes Craven's New Nightmare probably next weekend. So, Okay. Uh, overall, I'm enjoying I'm enjoying it. It's, it's okay. And then I'm going to top it off with, after I watch all of them, I'm going to watch that Never Sleep Again, which is the documentary about Nightmare on Elm Street, which is made by the people that did the friday the 13th documentary that just came out oh okay so what's, it's like what's that like 14 hours it's um f- it's four hours it's a four hour documentary <laughs> <laughs> so i'm pretty oh excited my God, for that. that's ridiculous then i watched paradise hope so i f- i finished up the paradise trilogy uh this one this one was good um i don't know after watching all three of them, I don't know which one I like the most. Probably the first one. Probably Paradise Love. Sure. I think that was still my first one. Or my favorite one. That was going to be my question. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that Love was my favorite one. But, I mean, Hope was good. It Basically, this one is about a, an overweight girl that gets sent to a fat camp. And it's just her time at this really odd... <laughs> really weird fat camp of course and of course she's like 14 but she she gets into some trouble and uh there's some very adult very disturbing things that that happen sounds about right that fit fit with the series (laughs) nothing too major though like i thought that they were going to go very dark with it and they get close but it doesn't quite go off the edge so i was very thankful for that but I do recommend checking out the whole series. I mean, if you're into these kind of oddball European indies, this is it. And it's it, this and is it's the def- epic trilogy. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely shot like something 
something like dog tooth or something like that where you know it's mostly just static shots mm-hmm. you know yeah. like still camera scene cut to next scene still camera like that yeah oh, which yeah. i like so it's pretty good uh then i saw brain scan which i think i briefly mentioned last week i you finished did. it up yeah edward furlong interactive cd rom turns him into a killer <laughs> oh that's amazing yep and frank langella plays the detective trying to solve the murder I mean, this is just such a classic 90s movie. I I loved it. It's so ridiculous. And you ever notice, like, in 90s movies, they used a lot of, like, prosthetics and stuff? Like, remember um, Little Monsters with Howie Mandel? <laughs> like, yes. I feel, I feel like they just loved using prosthetics and stuff in the 90s. Yeah, I think that that was, like, the flavor for a couple of years like everyone just got fucking hooked on it yeah i mean this this has shades of that and shades of lawnmower man but it's it's pretty fun it's got a, kind of a cool ending but it's really it's really weird it's it's a weird movie like when you think about it for some reason edward furlong loves milk and he's like always <laughs> chugging glasses of milk and he's got like milk all over his face <laughs> it's so <laughs> I'm not sure what that's all about. Oh, my God. That sounds amazing. This is uh, playing free on Crackle, so you can check that out. Oh, I'm, shit. Yeah. The only thing is, if you watch it on Crackle, you got to deal with the same commercial every, oh, every I don't know 10 if I minutes. Can, dude, I don't know if I can do that. <laughs> I hate that when they do that. I, yeah, I don't know if I can do that. I think so I did watch that it once. I forget what I watched on, but it was one of those where, you know, there's... A damn commercial break like every 15 minutes and it's the yeah. same one they don't switch it up it's just the same thing over and over again yeah it's horrible i don't understand why they do it that way but oh well brain scan check it out 94 classic then i saw hellbenders this is the one with um clifton collins jr dan fogler clancy brown pretty great cast in this and this is a low-budget horror comedy about a uh, a group of <laughs> a group of uh, holy people that are in charge of doing exorcisms. But the the thing is, they have to be on the threshold of hell in order to successfully do an exorcism. Because if if it goes wrong, what they need to do is they need to bring the demon into their own bodies, then commit suicide in order to take the demon back to hell with them. Okay. Okay. So it's a really interesting premise because they have to be constantly sinning in order to keep <laughs> to keep themselves like hellbound. They they're called the hellbound saints. Okay. So the movie starts off So so they're doing it for us. They're right. sinning for us. Yeah, which is great. They're, the opening of the film is amazing. They, there's this uh, great like slow motion shot with a, a song playing by LP, oh, and nice. it's just it, yeah, and it's just them sitting. It's almost like a Last Supper type thing where they're all sitting at this big table, but they're all like s- smoking and drinking. And the one he's I don't know his name, but he's one of the new cast members of SNL. Hmm. He's he's in it. I'm pretty sure. He's the new one of the new cast members, and they just show him 
pouring milk on his crotch for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> but sure. So it start it starts off great. The premise is great, but unfortunately the movie kind of falls apart as it progresses and it gets pretty ridiculous at the end. Mm. Which is really unfortunate because I just I love the idea of this movie and it was really there were a lot of funny moments because the entire movie, like literally the entire movie, they're drinking and doing drugs, like nonstop. <laughs> and like they have this book where they have to log all their sins. And if somebody's not sinning enough, they have to like sin more. It's just. It's <laughs> I think so going like a, it's like a sinning rampage. Yeah. Make up for it. It's like the opposite of Lent. Sort of. Yeah. Awesome. It sounds like a very, very interesting idea. That just execution's bad. Yeah, the execution. It, but like I said, it starts off good. It doesn't. It doesn't really start falling apart until the the main plot comes to the surface, where there's this big demon that they have that's trying to like bring hell on earth and stuff like that. And it, <laughs> so it doesn't fall apart until they actually have to uh, inject it like a narrative to it, right? <laughs> Like, I would rather it be sort of like a character piece about these people and just going on different jobs. Yeah. Like, I think that that would be kind of cool because it, it does have kind of a Ghostbusters feel to it. <laughs> but I wish it was more like like that, where it had them going to different jobs. And there's also this subplot of the ch- with the new Pope coming in, like they decide to shut shut it down. Oh, no. So it's sort of like a Revenge of the Nerds type thing as well. <laughs> oh it sounds amazing it's worth checking out but just don't don't expect much from it keep those expectations low yeah then i saw solo which i don't recommend this is a, a kind of a throwback horror movie it's about a girl attending a summer camp and part of the initiation for her becoming a camp counselor is that she's required to spend two nights alone in the woods camping by herself. That's sort of like the requirement yeah. uh, to show that she has the ability to, you know, be a, a good camp counselor or whatever. Mm-hmm. And she goes out and she finds out that there's some people out there that are trying to kill her. And it is ridiculous. <laughs> but there are a couple weird things about it uh first of all it plays out like a very typical horror movie there's nothing original here i was gonna say just just from you giving me like the synopsis i could tell like right off the bat yeah it's probably just cliche after cliche yeah and it's it's competently made so it's not like it's absolutely horrible to look at or anything i mean the visuals are fine uh, the location, this like little island that that they're on, looks really beautiful, but just the the plot is really generic. And there are a couple of interesting things though, like the killer. And I'm not, I don't think I'm giving too much away, but the killer dresses up like a camp counselor. But the funny thing is, he's like, he's like 45 years old, <laughs> but he dresses up in the same outfit that he wore when he was a kid. <laughs> so oh my it's, god. Like, really t- so it's like really tight and small on him. And it's like, how is this guy supposed to be menacing? I was just laughing at him the whole time. And then the other, the other weird thing is all the characters in this, except 
maybe the main girl, they're chain smoking throughout the entire movie. <laughs> and it was so odd. It was like, why, are they, why is everybody smoking, like, nonstop? Do you know how stressful it is to be a camp counselor? It was just really weird. Like, I don't know Dude. if it was some kind of subtext about <laughs> if this you smoke in, smoking kills. If you smoke in the woods, you're dead. Because they're giving off their location, man. It was weird and ridiculous. Another weird and ridiculous movie I saw was Slaughter High from 1986. Yes, please. This is my my Grindhouse Weekly movie. Let me set this up for you. Starts off with... Please do. Starts off with a nerd being lured into a bathroom by a, a sexy girl. Okay. And it's April Fool's Day, so this gang of asshole bullies decide to pull a prank on him. So they lure him into the bathroom and they get him to take off all his clothes in the shower. Then they proceed to open the shower curtain with him being completely naked. They film it. Then, then they spray him with a fire extinguisher. Yeah. He tries to leave and grab a towel. They electrify the towel rack. So he electrocutes himself. Good Lord. Then they pick him up dump him in the toilet, and give him a swirly. Wow, that is an elaborate prank. Yeah, these people are horrible. Who then, thinks? to top it all off, they give him a poison joint to make him sick. Wow. Then while he's in the bathroom, they put some kind of weird powder into this like science experiment that he's working on to like mess it up. He comes back in, the science experiment explodes, lights the whole room on fire, <laughs> and there's this giant bottle of acid on the top of this insanely wobbly shelf. Now, I don't know why you would put a giant bottle of acid on top of an insanely wobbly shelf, but they do it, and the acid spills all over his face. Wow. Yeah. Then we jump to jump forward 10 years later, and all of the, the kids that were part of this prank, get an invitation to their 10-year reunion. They go back to the school, and they get picked off one by one. Uh Yeah, it is utterly ridiculous in every way possible, especially because the end reveals that this was all a fantasy in this kid. Like, this kid is still in the hospital after the acid burn. And it's just just... a big fantasy. (laughs) I'm glad so, that they st- they stopped doing that. That's yeah. another thing that seemed to take hold for a while. That little storytelling ending caveat. I hated that. I, hated I know that. it was it was absolutely terrible. It's the worst. <clears throat> it's such a cop out. The thing about Slaughter High though is it is really fun to watch. Just on a so bad it's good. Yeah. Level. I'm. It's it's really funny. I I'm interested in this bad boy. It's so ridiculous. And the the kills like are utterly insane. Like he for some reason there's a bathtub in this school. Like they go like the one guy dies because somehow this the killer injects poison into this dude's beer and he shotguns the beer. Now I don't know how he got poison in an unopened can of beer, but he did. And he shotguns the beer and it makes his stomach explode. Wow. And when his stomach explodes, this the one girl gets blood sprayed all over her face. So she decides to go take a bath. 
At the school? At the school. Yeah, there's a there's a bathtub in the school. Whatever. <laughs> People like to take baths. Who doesn't take a bath at school? So she's taking a bath, and all of a sudden the water turns to acid. What? <laughs> like the running water what? just turns to acid. Okay. And rat... So not Rather, only do they not not only do they have a, a bathtub at the school, it sounds like they have way too much acid. Yeah, there's like just they, acid they just have like a stockpile of acid for some reason. And rather than getting out of the tub immediately, she stays in the tub until she dies. <laughs> she just she just sits in the tub and screams and thrashes around until she's dead. She doesn't bother getting up. Like to me, if I'm in a bathtub. And it starts to burn me because acid is coming out. I'm getting out of the bathtub immediately. I I would hope so. I would hope so. But maybe it's an extremely comfortable bathtub. Yeah, like she she wanted to be clean, but at the same time she was she she, she, she didn't want the acid, but she wanted to be clean. She so just, she went of, she went with it. She went yeah. with it. She's lazy. She's lazy teenagers. God, it's pretty ridiculous though. It sounds it's, amazing. That's what it 80s. sounds like. I mean, it's it's very much a Friday the 13th clone. Like, very much. Nice. So. Uh, then I saw Jackass Presents Bad Grandpa. Oh, yeah? Yeah, it's good. It's uh, quite funny, actually. I wouldn't say it's good, okay. it, but it is very <laughs> It is very funny. You, like, went, you went back on that very quickly. I did, yeah. Cause, I mean, to say it's good, you know, that, I don't know. That's a pretty strong statement. It's funny. Okay. It's very raunchy. It's very vulgar, as you might expect. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. I'm sure that there's plenty of critics out there that sa- that just immediately dismiss this movie as being stupid and lowbrow and like lowest common denominator and blah, blah, blah. But I dare them to go see this movie and not laugh. Like, I'm so- it's just funny. Yeah. Like, not all the jokes land, but when they hit, they hit hard and i was there were several things that happened in this movie that had me in hysterics i mean it's <laughs> some of the pranks are just so funny and just seeing the look on people's faces well yeah that's what we talked about on last week's show it i, I i'm very interested by the idea like i said i can't i can't believe no one hasn't done this before well borat sort of did it yeah that's true but it's it's like a That's cross true. between Borat and Jackass, you know, where yeah. whereas Jackass is nothing but pranks and no plot, and Borat is has pro, has plot, but a lot of the pranks are not real. Mm-hmm. This this is very real. Like obviously, a lot of the stuff is staged, of course, mm-hmm. and some people are in on it, but that's not the point. Like yeah. the point is to focus on the people who aren't in on it. And that that's what makes it so priceless. I also enjoy the fact that Spike Jones co-wrote it. He co-wrote it, he produced it, and he's in it, too. He plays Johnny Knoxville's wife, <laughs> who is dead. Uh, Spike Jones plays Johnny Knoxville's dead wife. Fantastic. And as you might imagine, there are a lot of funny things that you can do with a corpse. <laughs> And and it's it's pretty great. Wow! I also like, see here in the 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 cast credits. Is there juggalos? There's some juggalos in this film. Yeah. Yes. 
Do <laughs> you don't want to expound on Juggalos? I no. find Juggalos completely interesting for some reason. Just I wanted to go as a Juggalo for Halloween, but then I thought nobody would get it. Like people would just think that I, I was being serious. I would get it. No, you should do that. Yeah, you would. You would get it. Yeah, but dude, you should definitely do that. I'm gonna go as Epic Perman. There you go. I just gotta find that trench coat. I haven't been able to find one yet. There you go. I'm gonna do it though. Uh, but Bad Grandpa is worth checking out. It is. It is very funny. It's nice. It's offensive. I mean, some people will probably be offended by it. There's a bunch of fart and poop jokes and stuff like that, but. I'll tell you, some uh, some of it is just really, really funny. And seeing Spike Jones as an 86-year-old woman corpse is <laughs> worth the price of admission right there. Oh, God. Uh, I didn't know that, and the fact that you just told me that, I automatically want to see this. Oh, yeah. that's Just that's based the thing, on that alone. That's the other thing I wanted to mention real quick is at the end of the film, during the credits, they do kind of a making of where mm-hmm. they, they have a lot of behind the scenes stuff showing how they set up some of these pranks and like where they hid the cameras and different things like that. And it was that was really interesting. Like, I, I really liked that they included that because the whole time I was thinking like, OK, how did they do this? Like, how did they hide the cameras where, you know, who was in on it? And that, think, that yeah, type I of think thing? I'm going to have to do that with, like, when it comes out on DVD. Because I think that probably would be extremely interesting to see, you know, like, the behind the scenes. Yeah, it was it was really interesting how they how they did a lot of it. So, I do recommend it. I recommend going to see Bad Grandpa. I'm going to see it just based on Spike Jones as an 86-year-old woman corpse. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what the tagline of the film should be. Yeah, it's... Pretty funny. Also, real quickly, the the makeup, the old man and old woman makeup that they use is fantastic. Like, I didn't know that Spike Jones was the old woman until the end when they showed him as the old woman. Hmm. I had no idea. And it's, it, that always surprises me, too, that, you, you know, you get a film like Bad Grandpa of Comedy, and they're able to nail the makeup, and then other films, they just completely miss it. Yeah. Yeah. entirely they just do a horrendous job like i'm thinking of something like jay edgar for instance like <laughs> that looked so bad but then you see bad grandpa and if i didn't know that that was johnny knoxville i probably wouldn't recognize him it was like spot on come on hoover yeah Who made uh, hoover? then i saw finally i saw skinwalker ranch which is a found footage horror film holy shit let me stop you there it's terrible don't see it. Let's move on. That's pretty much it. Yeah. <laughs> this one's about aliens. Oh, God. That sounds so good. Guess what? It's inspired by true events. I'm sure it fucking is. <laughs> yeah, this was, this is completely typical of every other found footage horror movie that's come out in the last few years. Uh, it's This is going to be on video on demand and DVD on the 30th. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So probably avoid it. Just avoid it. <laughs> just just act like we didn't say anything. This doesn't exist. We're just joking around. Yeah, this I mean, is we, not a film. It's not a film. We have a review that's that's going to be coming out the <sighs> day before, and Todd reviewed it. And here's a little spoiler: he gave it a two and a half. So oh wow, I thought he would go straight one. 
Normally he does. He's he's tough. Yeah. On movies. Well, yeah. When he doesn't like something, he goes he goes straight to the bottom. Well, I gave it a one on Letterbox, wow. so I guess that would kind of translate as a two. He found something. Hmm. Yeah, this looks absolutely atrocious. Yeah, it's bad. I mean, there there's some creep creepy moments, but the thing is, any creepy moments are completely overshadowed by the crappy found footage style. Mm-hmm. I mean, like if this movie wasn't found footage and they just made it like a straight horror movie, traditionally yeah. shot horror movie, might might have worked. But the thing might about have. these the, the thing about these found footage horror movies is that I can't help but pick them apart like on a technical level. And it just takes me out of it and I just I hate plus, it. I mean, plus the whole idea has become so tiresome. Yeah, it's and, just... and they're all they're all structured the exact same. Mm-hmm. They're all like, you know, slow build up and then big big finale at the end. Yeah. And they, yeah, just, they all follow the same formula. Yeah. It's terrible. Like little little things happening. Oh, little creepy things. Like in this one, instead of like doors opening, it was like mysterious lights turning on and loud uh, sounds and No way. Cattle mutilation. No way. I've never seen that before in a horror film. Are you yeah, kidding me? It's just get up, get off of it. Get it, get over it. I wanna see I wanna see like a superhero film where the superhero just goes around and stops these films from being made. I would love that. that. That's a superhero to me. Just walks in, the guy's like jotting down ideas, and he just gets slapped across the face. And the guy just points his finger at him and says, no. Yeah, that's I it. I would love that. That would be a fucking great film. Be better than Skywalker Ranch. I haven't even seen this shit. It sounds Skywalker. terrible. Skinwalker. Skinwalker, Skywalker, whatever. Who gives a shit? Skywalker Ranch, I believe, is... Uh, <laughs> that's the name of George Lucas's compound. <laughs> Uh, I think it would be great if it was called Skywalker Ranch and it was a found footage horror film of George Lucas's life. It sort of made like uh, something akin to uh, Escape from Tomorrow, guerrilla style on Skywalker Ranch. Yeah. See, now that's an idea. Do that. I'm just imagining that that, that sketch on Mad TV, which I will never forget, with Will Sasso. That is still one of my favorite sketches. <laughs> Mad, TV, Mad TV never, rarely ever got things right or funny, but holy shit, that one. Yeah. That one's amazing. I mean, that, that was the funniest sketch. <laughs> if you wanted fries, you should have got some. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Yes. Uh, well, that's, that's all I got, so we can go oh, ahead yeah. and... All right, let's go ahead and jump into a review of Our Day Will Come. This is directed by Romain Gravas. Ooh. Gavras? Gav- yeah, sure. Whatever. Yeah. Stars Vincent Cassell and Olivier Barthelemy. Yes. Nice. I do have a synopsis here. The outcast red-haired teenager Remy is bullied at school and lives with his estranged mother and sister in France. The also red-haired psychiatrist Patrick befriends Remy and helps him to release his repressed hatred and sexuality. When Remy sees a picture of red-haired people in Ireland, he forces Patrick to travel with him to his dreamland. So you have a review up for this up on the site, so I think I'll start it off. And I, I really had no idea what this movie was going into it. I didn't know the synopsis. I didn't see any trailers. Like, literally the only thing I knew was that Vincent Cassell was in it, and it was uh, the director of a lot of 
really great music videos, mm-hmm. including the MIA video. That's really all I knew. So it was a bit of a surprise <laughs> going into this movie, and it was it's kind of this bizarre Thelma and Louise road trip movie almost, mm-hmm. where it's just these two guys doing some of the weirdest, craziest shit. <laughs> and it was so, it was like, it had this really weird tone to it that I loved, where it was funny, but it was just such a, they played everything so straight, and it was such a darkly comedic movie. Yes. But they they inject these like little, little bits, because it wasn't, for the most part, it wasn't that funny. Like, they weren't trying to be funny. But, like, they would put in just these kind of little comedic beats that just kind of let you know, like, okay, you're not supposed to take this 100% seriously. No. Yeah, and, you're not at all. But it's great because the director does. Right. <laughs> and just putting in these little comedic beats, like, one of the things that, that sticks out is they're at a hotel room. They're at the, they get a hotel room, and... He Remy's gonna be like tipping the the uh, the bellhop, and just how they cut to Vincent Cassell just kind of popping his head to look at to look at him, and just like that little that little thing was so funny to me. I also like the the scene where they're they're sitting in like the little cafe and he's throwing peanuts. Yeah, the three and it, right before he's like pick an arrow, pick an arrow, pick an arrow, pick an arrow, pick an arrow. He just says it over and over again. And I do have uh, some some keywords here that we can go over then. But what what were your thoughts um, on the on the movie in general? I was much like you. The only thing that I knew going in was Vince C- Cassell's in it, and I knew you know Roman uh, Romain Gravas, uh, who is the son of famed director Costa Gravas. Who actually, the odd thing is, is they both have a film coming out this weekend and i knew that he sort of it was playing off of the idea of that mia video born free which Mm -hmm. was done it's pretty much just punishment park the 1971 peter watkins film but with redheads that's what the music video is and this one just seems like you know he was developing the idea a bit more and like you said it turns into this sort of thelma and louise redheaded male version with a crossbow which is yeah. what I loved. The, the, the first thing that he, when he, when Remy's put in charge is he buys a suit and then he buys a crossbow. Because who wouldn't? <laughs> who wouldn't? If you had unlimited funds, first thing I would do is buy a suit and then a crossbow. Makes perfect sense. And just the whole the whole idea that this movie is so the story is so ridiculous and so outlandish and over the top and out of control, and the fact that they play it completely straight. It, they take it so seriously, just makes it even funnier. And now, I mean, there is some subtext, I thought, you know, with immigration and discrimination and all that prejudice, but it's not that deep. No. I think it's, one for the most part, this is just a bizarre, dark, and twisted comedy that's like a bromance road trip with a crossbow. Yeah, I mean, on IMDb, it says that it's considered a drama, but I I don't know if I consider it a drama at all. Like, no, yeah. I'm, I thought I'm, it was much more of a comedy than a drama. Yeah. It's, it made me laugh quite a bit. Yes. It's very, it's very disturbing. Yeah. Um, 
it is kind of disturbing. It does. It's very adult. I mean, they they go to some pretty dark places in it. Oh and, yeah. Uh, I do. I do want to read over some of my keywords here that that remind me of some things. Uh, I have overweight girl spitting into pool. <laughs> oh yes, yes. <laughs> that scene where the that girl just kind of appears out of nowhere and joins uh, yeah. up with them. <laughs> that that was probably the one of the most bizarre uh developments in the film it's just it's like she's in the lobby and then she spends like the entire night with them and then you're like whose fucking kid is this yeah <laughs> and just the, i thought it was so funny when they just cut to her and then her spitting into the pool <laughs> uh and then i also have hot tub piss Mm-hmm. Then enter hot tub, then <laughs> masturbate in hot tub. <laughs> All while Remy has a crossbow pointed squarely at his face riding an exercise bike. Yeah, he's on a stationary bike pointing a crossbow. Oh, and we for, we failed to mention that there is a young couple in the hot tub. Yeah, and, and the, the look on their face, like, they were just like, what is going on? Like, that was kind of the funny thing was a lot of the people that they interacted with just seemed so flabbergasted and confused that mm-hmm. they were just like frozen. Like when they hijacked the car, the guy just sits there in the back seat. <laughs> Even when he doesn't have a crossbow pointed at him. Yeah, he's when just... Reb, when Remy leaves the car, he's just he still just kind of hangs out there. He's just he's along for the ride. I also have Arsenal as a keyword. yes. That's <laughs> yes. That is another point. Remy. It, he, I mean, he's on the soccer team, and he even gets bullied by his own teammates and the, you know, the people that he's playing against. But he's obsessed with Arsenal, and throughout the film, it's just him trying to find out if the, Arsenal, the, won. yeah, if Arsenal won. <laughs> Especially when he tries to figure out if he's gay or not. So he goes back to the bellhop guy, and he like starts kissing him, and he's like, mm-hmm. "Don't touch me, no hands." And then, <laughs> but he he starts it off by, "Did Arsenal win? Do you know if Arsenal win? Won?" Just comes running in after they stole the wheelchair. Yeah. Oh my god. It's just bad shit insanity. The only other keyword I have here is head shaving, which uh, yeah. was one of the very, really almost hard to watch for me at least. Now, I don't know why, but. Now, to me, that looked real. Yeah. yeah like he totally shaved his head like the worst way he knew how. <laughs> he shaved it hard. <laughs> It's crazy because it's. I don't know if this is another thing that's going to pop up because of headhunters. Because it is the second worst head shaving I've seen on film. Headhunters is still the worst. Yeah. Oh. Because that. Because yeah, that that hair had shit in it. It was disgusting. But th- this one was pretty bad. And it's crazy because I did uh, doing a little background of the film is Vincent Cassell. You know, he shaves off all of his hair and his eyebrows as well. And this was like right around the time where he was named like the the front man or the image of like you Saint Laurent, which is like a, you know, high end fashion designer. So he shaves off all of his hair and shows up at Cannes looking like an alien. <laughs> also, so I'm sure, I'm sure like you Saint Laurent's just like, what the fuck Cassell? Also, we they signed you. It was, it wasn't just the hair on his head. It was the eyebrows too, which made it. Yeah. And when he just keeps going over the one eyebrow over and over and over again, <laughs> and it's just blood's coming out. It's like, it's calm. You got to take your time when you're shaving, man. Lather it up. Yeah, come on. And then he makes those people kiss at the church service. Yeah, that was funny. It's just, it's just increasingly weird. And 
just it gets insane and especially the end the ending is just non-stop insanity yeah it, it definitely ramps up at the end because i and then that's the other thing is like in the beginning you're like oh okay they treat remy like shit everywhere he goes he's treated like shit and you're like, oh, yeah, he's a redhead and he's getting back. He just wants to make it to Ireland. And then as the film goes progresses, you're like, oh, okay, people don't like him just because he's a fucking asshole. Like, it has nothing to do with the color of his hair or anything. He's just a dick. Right, same same with Patrick. <laughs> yeah, Patrick is just, I mean, the he's... self-loathing that he portrays in that hot tub scene and the, the three-way with the women before that where he lights the girl on fire. Mm-hmm just hates himself and he wants other people to hate him because like i said he hates himself so there is some subtext there but just the pure insanity and the weird set pieces that that transpire in this film it's just it's a twisted road trip man yeah it is fucked up Uh, i do want to mention that this is available on on demand so you can check it out now definitely definitely check it out plus the the cinematography is amazing i thought it looks beautiful. Yeah, I thought it was good. I mean, it, it didn't blow me away or anything. I was expecting it to blow me away just because of... I thought that the Born Free video looked amazing. I think this had like, more of an Antonioni feel to it. I liked I it. it. Like, he, it, the beginning of the film, the, there's so many like images that are tip of the cap to Red Desert, which I don't know if that was another... Since it's Red Desert, I don't know if that's another thing he's trying there. But I thoroughly enjoyed the, the cinematography. I thought it was fantastic. Yeah. Well, I think that's uh, two solid recommendations from us. Yeah. Just be prepared for batshit insanity. Yeah. It's very weird, but check it out. Our day will come. Yes. All right. Let's move on do some predictions. Last week, we said The Counselor. I said 68. You said 60. Actual 35. Ouch. Mm. Mm. <laughs> I was going to see that this weekend, and then I was like, you know what? Nope. No, thank you. Not going to do it. I think we gave it a three and a half out of ten on the site. So. Wow. Yeah. And then we have Bad Grandpa. I said 72. You said 76. Actual 63. Huh? Not too bad. Yeah. Next week, we have Ender's Game. I just got over that like last month. Ender's remember, Game. You remember when I had Ender's Game? Yeah. That was terrible. I do remember. That's awful time. What are you thinking on Ender's Game? I'm going to go like a 62. Something tells me that it's not going to be very good. Yeah. It, it looks really generic to me. It it looks like a snooze fest. Yeah. I'm going to say 50. Nice. I hope it's a 50. I hope you're right. And we have Free Birds. <laughs> you got to be fucking kidding me. This one looks pretty pretty rough too, so I'm going to say like I'll say 50 on that one as well. I'm going to say like a 42. It's funny. That was my original thought. And uh, then we have Last Vegas. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. What's yeah. happening? <laughs> what are you thinking on <laughs> this one? <laughs> what the fuck is happening next week? Oh, Las Vegas. Um, 54%. I'm going to say 32 I again. I hope you're right. I hope you win next week. <laughs> I think last. I hope I'm wrong. <laughs> it looks so terrible to me. Didn't they do that? Wasn't that something already? What was that other movie? Oh, it was uh, like this sort of the same premise. No, I know. I know exactly what you're talking. It was the one with Walken. Yeah, 
what oh, was that called? Some the uh, no. oh stand up guys. Stand up guys, yeah. I was yeah. thinking the other guys. Yeah, stand up guys. Oh man. Uh, finally, we have about time. This is that that time travel rom com. Are you serious? There's a time travel rom com. You didn't see trailers for this. Bill I have Nighy. not. Seen, I haven't seen trailers for this. It's with uh, Rachel McAdams and Bill Nighy. Okay, so it's terrible. Doesn't look very good. I'll say 42. <laughs> I'm going to say 28. I have a feeling it's going to be a little bit better than that. but Time, travel, rom-com. In limited release next week, we have Mr. Nobody. That's a movie that came out like 10 years ago. I've seen Mr. Nobody on Amazon for like the last three years. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what's up with that. And then we have Man of Tai Chi. That's the Keanu Reeves one. That's currently playing on demand, I think, still. That sounds terrible. Dallas Buyers Club. All right. Yeah, limited release, though. Yeah, I, <laughs> would see it. I really want to see that. Diana, which which currently has a 5% on Rotten Tomatoes. Wow. Yeah. And uh, also the Broken Circle Breakdown, which I think we'll have a review for that up on the site as well. Uh, next week, video on demand releases include Skinwalker Ranch. Skip it. The last, oh. <laughs> the last days on Mars. I'm kind of curious to see Last Days on Mars. That's the one with Liv Schreiber. It's like a sci-fi horror movie. Okay. Might be, might be interesting. And Angels Sing. Remember Angels Sing from South by last year? Oh, uh, the one with Willie Nelson. Oh, for God's sake! Yeah. That one's no. going to be on demand. Uh, that, that's the Christmas one, right? Yeah, the Christmas one. Oh, jeez. <laughs> yep. Uh, DVD and Blu-ray releases. We have Bounty Killer, Byzantium, which I saw Byzantium. That That's pretty decent. I would recommend checking that one out. R.I.P.D., which I would skip. And Taboo, which I know you saw. I didn't see that. But. Taboo. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I was thinking of the other impression. No, that that actually was a solid film. I highly re- recommend that. That has the, like the the second half of it is like a like a silent film, yeah. which is very well done. Uh, that's all I got for DVD and Blu-ray releases. Did, were there any other ones? Uh, we have one Criterion coming out, which is a Michelangelo Antonioni film from 1961, La Note, which I've been wanting to see for a long time, and it's finally being released. On Blu-ray, so I'm pretty excited for this. Mastriani from Eight and a Half Fame, Jamioro. Sounds good. I can't wait to check it out. All right. For all the latest film news and reviews, visit us at filmpulse.net. Send us an email at feedback at filmpulse.net. Follow us on Twitter at filmpulse.net. Be sure to rate us on iTunes. We appreciate that very much. Filmpulse.net. My name's Adam. My name's Ken. And we will see you on Thursday for Ryan watches a movie. This movie is fucking amazing.